If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 42 to 47. For those that don't know me, my name is uh, I'm Pastor Jimmy Fowler. I'm the executive pastor here at Redeemer Fellowship. And as I was sitting there listening, okay, I, day, I was daydreaming. I was listening to Krista. While she was talking, I was daydreaming. And I had a thought that I was like, when 10 years ago this month was the first sermon I heard online from Redeemer Fellowship. It was at that time, February of 2012, that Michelle and I had began praying and thinking through and, and really ultimately come to the decision that we are going to move back to Chicago from Canada and listen to some sermons. And, and I mean, that's when we started really kind of engaging from a distance online, Redeemer Fellowship. And what we heard and what we read, we just from afar began falling in love with you. To when we could actually move here in October 2012 and be part of Redeemer Fellowship officially uh, and full-time in person. And so I was just really thinking about that, how much I just, 10 years ago, God was starting to kind of work, was working on my heart and Michelle's heart and drawing us to you. Acts 2, 42 to 47. Here we're going to be talking about the fellowship of the church, the early church. So now when we looked at the preaching schedule and, and Pastor Joe was like, okay, start looking at it, figure out which passages you want to grab and which ones maybe your schedule will, will allow you to, to be available to preach. I was like, I got to have this. I got to have it. I mean, it's the, the fellowship of the church. I just have to. And he made me promise that I would not make any Lord of the Rings, <laughs> fellowship of the ring jokes. I will do my best not to, but I want you to know I had plenty of them all week. And I was chuckling to myself. So when we were looking, you know, there was this, this thought for Michelle and I when we knew we were moving back. I had someone, an old mentor of mine, say, hey, check out Redeemer Fellowship, what I know of, of their pastor and what I know of you, Jimmy. You guys would really hit it off and you'll really like this church. Because we were looking for that perfect church. We were looking for that church that looked great on paper. You know, it was, it was doctrinally sound, confessionally sound. The worship was, was on fire. I was just like, it's got a, a great children's ministry and, and youth ministry. And I was just, I was excited and ready to go. We were looking for that perfect church. Much like I was looking for the church that, that I became a part of in Canada. You know, so after, youth, after I came to know the Lord sophomore year in high school, I did, uh, once I graduated, what typically a lot of the, the youth would do. Because the youth groups at the time would sit there and push kids and say, hey, overseas missions, go, 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 go. 20, 40 windows, 80, 40 windows. There was some windows to go through. Like, go to Africa, go to the Middle East, go and leave. Because that's where God is calling you to truly live out your faith is overseas missions. And I get it, I, you know, there was a, this big push for missionaries to go out. And so I went and I spent some time, uh, I, I lived for a couple years in Uganda, I lived for a little bit uh, just outside Moscow at an at a uh, uh, orphanage. But then I came back and I didn't know, I felt lost. I felt lost here going, well, I've been told I gotta go overseas, I, I gotta go somewhere, I don't know where to go. And I knew I, I didn't, I couldn't stay. And so a friend of mine was an associate pastor at this church in Port Alberni. And he said, hey, while you're trying to figure this out, why don't you come and just be a part of this and, and get to know our church. And I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. I got nothing better to do. So 
so I went and I fell in love with this church. And it wasn't because like they were, I don't know how else to word it. They weren't the, the, the typical fire, fiery church of like, you know, all this excitement. It was, it was definitely a lot of older people. But what I loved about it though was, was how much they loved me. And it wasn't because I was witty and smart and I was charming by any means. It was because they genuinely cared for me. They looked at this guy from, from outside Chicago, 19, 20 years old, on his own, family so far away. And they took me in and treated me like I was their son, like I was their grandson. And every night I'd be going over to somebody's house for dinner and they, they would be just stuffing my hands full of, full of leftovers for breakfast and lunch the next day. I would show up at my apartment and there would be a bag of groceries or just like they'd stuff gift cards inside my mail slot. And they just, they loved me. They cared for me. Everyone just kept inviting me over. I know one person probably regretted it because I ended up marrying his daughter. Thanks, you know, because he kept inviting me week after week. Thanks, Ken. Ka-ching. But I just, I love the church and how, how warm and how caring they are. And so often I look for, where's that perfect church? I want to be part of that again. I want to be part of this people that genuinely love and support and encourage and, and convict and, and really challenge each other to grow more and to love Jesus more. That's, I want the perfect church that is, that is firing on all cylinders. And yet often I'm reminded of what J.C. Ryle said. Before Christ comes, it is useless to expect to see a perfect church. Before Jesus returns, it is useless to expect to see a perfect church here. And I'll tell you, I'll, get, I'll put, let you in a little secret on why. Here's why. Because you're in it. Because I'm in it. Because we still struggle with our sin because we still struggle with our disbelief, because we still get offended and defensive and insecure, because we still struggle with what does it mean to be a child of God? What does that mean to, to be a child of God with all the, the privileges and responsibilities thereof? What does it then mean to be a witness to my community around me? We all struggle with what it means to walk this Christian faith perfectly, because we struggle with living a life worthy of our calling perfectly. And so there is no perfect church. And oftentimes we will say, well, I need to go back to the early church. That's what we got to do. We need to go back to the early church and see what they were doing and mimic what they were doing. I mean, they were fearful for their lives, confessing Jesus and losing their heads. And I understand, but the problem with that sentiment is because they think the early church was absolutely perfect in every way, shape, or form. Though you look at scripture, and even as we go through Acts, you're going to see Peter being rebuked by Paul in this perfect early church. But we can look to the early church. I do think there's things that we can glean from the early church. And what I'd like for us to see this morning is this. An unhealthy view of the local church leads to an unhealthy believer in the local church. An unhealthy view of the local church leads to an unhealthy believer in the local church. And this kind of works on two levels here. One, 
there is this cynicism in our culture today, especially among a lot of our, our younger generation, that the local church is useless, that the local church is unnecessary, that the local church is not something that I need to be devoted to, committed to, be a part of. The local church is just this institution made by man. Yet they forget it's the bride of Christ and it's the one, it's the one the institution that continues into the new age. That Jesus lived for, died for, prays for. And so in one sense, there's this, an unhealthy view of the local church leads to an unhealthy believer in the local church. There's people that just don't believe you need the local church. And they may say they believe in the local church, but functionally how they live their lives shows and proves their disbelief and their lack of belief in the local church itself. Plenty of cynicism leading to unhealthy believers. Then there's the sense that an unhealthy view of the local church leads to an unhealthy believer, you, me, within the local church. And what I see in our passage this morning is that we need the local church for our spiritual lives. We need the local church for our everyday walk. We need the local church to come alongside us. And the local church needs us. Other brothers and sisters in Christ need us to engage the community at large. Because the gifts, and the gifts that you have are needed within the local assembly. And you need the gifts that God has given others in the local assembly for your own edification and encouragement. Acts 2:42 to 47. And they, and that's going back to verse 41, which, which uh, Travell was preaching on last week, which says, so those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. So new believers, these converts, these disciples of Jesus, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Please pray with me. Father, I, I rejoice at the opportunity. I'm humbled by the opportunity to, to share your word. And I pray, Lord, that, that you'd be working on my heart, that you'd be working on all of our hearts. To have a greater love and affection and appreciation for the local church, that which you have given yourself for. That we as, as your people gather together in your church to proclaim your word to a lost world. We ask this all in your name. Amen. So an unhealthy view of the local church leads to an unhealthy believer in the local church. And we're going to look at this in three ways. Okay? We're going to look at this in three ways. So if you're the note-taking type here, here's what we're looking at. First, we're going to be looking at the substance of the church in verse 42. Second, we're going to look at the spirit of the church in verses 43 through the first part of 47. And then finally, we're going to look at the sweetness of the church in verse 47. 
the substance of the church, the spirit of the church, the sweetness of the church. So verse 42, and they devoted themselves. Devotion. Oftentimes I think we, we don't really quite grasp what devotion is. I think we try to interchange it with commitment and say, you know, I'm kind of committed to this. So like, so like some people, I mean, a lot of people are, are committed to their gym routine, but they don't love it, right? A lot of people are committed to their field of employment, but if they had any other choice, they'd leave. They'd get out. See, I think devotion goes a bit further than commitment. Commitment's great. Commitment's good. But we're called to something more. We're called to be devoted. This devotion is this zealous, fervent affection for that which you're devoted to. It's not, it's not just kind of merely going through the motions and the routine. It's not just merely being there because I said I'd be there. It's being there because I want to be there. I desire to be there. I am, I am zealous for it. I am fervent for it. I need it. If I don't have it, I, I feel empty without it. I mean, when you think about devotion, think about marriage. A marriage that's just merely a commitment is not the same as a marriage that is devoted to each other. A marriage that has this, this fervent affection for one another, where you feel when they're not there, where you desire to be with them, where you miss them when they're not around, where you want to see the best happen for them. This zealous, fervent affection. And so why then do we sometimes lack devotion? Why do we lack devotion? I think sometimes we, we lack devotion because we have this fear of missing out. I don't want to be devoted to one thing because there might be something better on the horizon. There might be something else that I'm missing out on. I'm actually thinking about my, my, my brother-in-law, Michelle's brother, David. He had huge FOMO. Huge FOMO. Be like, David, we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner. Are you going to come to Thanksgiving dinner? He's like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, why don't, why, how are you going to say, I don't know I'm coming to family dinner? What is this? How, what, what do you have better going on? He's like, uh, Tyler says we might go shoot some deer. And so he had this fear of missing out. That if he, if he committed and was devoted to being with us at Thanksgiving, he would miss out on something else. And oftentimes as believers, we treat the local assembly, we treat our faith the same. Where we kind of hold it at a distance. It's here, it's on the side. I'll pick it up if nothing better comes around. If there's nothing better going on that day, I'll sure be there. If there's nothing on Netflix or if I've already watched all the series, okay, now I guess I'll read. Now I'll, I'll live this life. Sometimes people lack devotion because they, they believe that something else out there might be better and they don't want to miss that. They want to be a part of that. For others, for others, sometimes we've lost our first love like we read in Revelation. Where that affection is gone. Where we don't feel that fervent desire for it. Where our heart just doesn't leap when we think about the gospel anymore. Where our heart doesn't leave when we think about gathering together as God's people anymore. Where the excitement of being able to pray and gather with other brothers and sisters in Christ, 
wane. Sometimes we've lost our first love. We've lost the joy of our salvation. So how do we regain? We talk about this quite often. We talk about pressing into the means of grace through prayer, scripture, gathering together with God's people, sharing in the ordinances, and in the midst of that, being transparent and honest with yourself and with each other, that I'm not feeling it today. I'm struggling in this. I'm not sure how to go about this. Too often we try to fake it till we make it rather than confronting it and dealing with it. But when I talk about devotion, especially when I say in the context of the local church, that raises a red flag and it raises one for me too. Because just like some of you, I've been in unhealthy churches. I've been in unhealthy churches with toxic leadership that demanded blind devotion from us. That would talk about this culture of honor and you can't question the, the lead pastor. You can't question the leadership because it, to do that would be go against the Lord's anointing. Are you going against the Lord's anointed? That's pretty bad. Don't do it, Jimmy. And for some of you, you've been in those situations. But we're not talking about blind devotion where you can't question and be discerning and to call out issues that are, that are there. But what were these disciples devoted to? It says four things. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and the prayers. When we talk about apostles' teaching, we talk about the word of God. For them, they had this... This, this oral tradition, and they had, they had the Old Testament. They had these scrolls, and they would, they would study this. Look at Jude with me. Look at Jude one three. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to, for the saints. This faith, this apostle's teaching that we're talking about has been delivered to us. It's been given to us. It's been written down for us. And so we have the scripture in front of us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, we're able to understand and make sense of the word of God. But see, too often people don't want to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They don't want to devote themselves to the word of God, to the studying of God's scripture. They'd rather devote themselves to myths and, uh, uh, myths and whatever the culture tells them is true. They'd rather look at their own experiences and their own, their own beliefs rather than what the word of God says. I mean, really, we're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture, that the sufficiency of Scripture is there for Christian belief and Christian living. I mean, look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture, even the, one, even the passages you disagree with, even the passages you're uncomfortable with, even the passages you don't quite understand, all scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable, it is useful, it is necessary for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. To what purpose? So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I mean, when we talk about 
the scriptures. We're talking about this beautiful gift that God has given us. That he has given us his spirit so that we can make sense. And he's given us his word so we don't have to guess. Praise God for that. But often we don't trust in scripture. We look to culture. We look to our friends. We look to our family to influence how, what we believe and how we should live. I mean, you think of Bonhoeffer's words, his famous words, that the scriptures are sifted by the sieve, through the sieve. And when you think of a sieve, so I'm in manufacturing, so are the few other people, Oscar here as well. And when you're in this manufacturing, you've got this powder, and it's going into the hopper. You've got this screen, this mesh. And the powder goes through it, and it, and it collects all the big clumps. Because if you have clumps going through it, the machine can't work right. And that's kind of like this, this notion here. The scriptures are sifted through the sieve of one's own experience, despising and shaking out what will not pass through. They, one's own experience their own beliefs, what they want to trust and believe in, despising and shaking out, despising and shaking out what they're uncomfortable with, what they don't like that's contrary to their belief and their desire on how they want to live their life. We need to contend for this faith because the world is pushing at us. The world is going after us and saying, how dare you believe in this? How dare you believe that Jesus is the only way? How dare you say that not everyone could go ahead and marry whoever they want? How dare you try to say that without Jesus, there is no salvation? How dare you? And we must contend for this faith because all we, we have scripture in the Holy Spirit. It says they were devoted to the fellowship the gathering together where they would share in these activities and the privileges of this intimate association, this intimate group. And as they were part of this group, as they were committed to this group, they would share in the activities and the privileges of membership within that group. In the, in, in, um, in the New Testament, that word is, is reserved for two too tight, like it would use it for two t different situations. One was the local church assembly. This fellowship, this commitment, this intimate association with all its rights and privileges and responsibilities. And then secondly, marriage. This picture of this covenant together, that we are committed to one another, that we will not let go of each other, that we would stand by one another. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, coming to the table and remembering what the, the Lord has done in them and through them and for them. And then the prayers. Throughout Scripture, especially, uh, uh, you'll see a lot in, in the New Testament, these little hymns and prayers that are kind of thrown in there as passages that the early church would recite together and memorize together. But the important thing is that we would gather together. They were devoted to praying and all this was done within the local church. You see, membership does matter. Covenants do matter. God entered into this covenant with God's people, with his bride, the church. And people hesitate. There are hesitations when it comes to church membership. One, because I believe there is this incorrect view of the church. Some people don't see the value of the local church. And so when we say an unhealthy view of the local church leads to an unhealthy believer in the local church. They don't believe the local church is necessary for their Christian walk. 
I got Jesus and my Bible. One of the most arrogant statements I've ever heard of. I've got Jesus in my Bible. I need nothing else. I don't need other believers. I don't need people to challenge me. Listen, there are others that had Jesus and their Bible and they came up with some great heresies because they didn't have the accountability. They didn't have the correction because they were an island among themselves and rather than committing to the local body, they committed to going with whatever their experiences and whatever they all personally desired to live and believe. But secondly, I think this is more prevalent because some people have had bad church experiences. They've been in unhealthy and toxic churches. I hear you, I see you, I know you, I've been you. And so I understand you when you say, I struggle. I struggle with committing to a local church when my last church burned me and they burned me bad. The substance of the church. Next we see the spirit of the church. Verses 23 through 47. 47a. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. I love that about this, this, this spirit that's within the church. Not just the spirit of God, but this spirit of camaraderie, this spirit of, of discipleship that they had with each other. And it's, they've got the, the devotion, they're devoted to the substance, they're, they're, vo- they're devoted to, the, and as they're learning about the apostles' teaching, and as they're studying together, they're being knitted together as one, as scripture talks about, having one mind, being one body. But see, you look here and you see that the church was awe-inspiring. Through, and here you see there's these signs and wonders that are going on within the church. And oftentimes people talk about that. Well, we got to go back to the early church. The early church had these signs and wonders. It was extravagant. People were being healed. Things were being multiplied. Legs being extended. But they forget, and even, it's not just here, but throughout Acts, it always talks about these signs and wonders are being performed, are being done through the apostles. And there's this understanding for some, we, I would say that for myself, I ascribe to that, that there is no longer this office of apostleship, this office of an apostle. That the, for the office of, of the apostle is one that had seen the risen Christ. And so these signs and wonders were being done for the, at this period of time at the beginning and the building of Christ's church. But that does not mean the Holy Spirit does not still work today. I absolutely believe that. I absolutely believe the Holy Spirit is still at work today. And the Holy Spirit could do such marvelous things that I can never explain. I have seen people come out of situations and I think to myself, it's only by the grace of God, the Spirit of God protecting the individual. I've seen people come out of hospital rooms that I thought, I'm not seeing them again. 
I sat there and prayed with this, this young girl in the hospital whose, whose head was just being, her brain was expanding and, and swelling so much that I'm sitting there with her mom as the doctor's telling her she's probably got three hours. And all we could do was sit and pray and say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And to watch Chantel walk out three weeks later and we would just rejoice. I can't explain that the spirit of God still works today. The power of God is still there. He uses any means necessary, medical or whatever else. But I trust that behind that, it's the, the, the Holy Spirit working. But I, I also believe that the greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit is not the signs, not the wonders, it's not the speaking in tongues, it's not gold dust coming down or gold teeth that automatically show up. It's not any of those. I truly believe that the greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit is in salvation. That one who was dead has been made alive. One who is an enemy of God is a lover of God. One that is a hater of God desires God. I have seen it in my life and I've seen it in others' lives where the Holy Spirit works mighty and powerful and I cannot understand that in just a moment's notice something switched. Something happened. I believe the greatest manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit is changing stone, dead, cold hearts and giving a heart of flesh pumped with life. But I also see the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit working in your life, in your sanctification. When I see you grow, when I see you excited, when I see our teens embrace the gospel, when I see you repent of your sins and desire it no more, when I see you grow in your faith, that's a great work of the Holy Spirit because just like you, I'm not smart enough to figure this out on my own. I need the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it just looks like folly. The Holy Spirit still works in salvation and sanctification. In this passage, we, we still see that the church was unified they were together. They gathered together to go to the temple together. They were generous with each other. They sold what was necessary to give to those who have need. This is the benevolence ministry, and we still carry on this ministry today. One of our de deacon, uh, Dan Salufus, oversees that ministry. And I, don't, I can't go into details because examples give away individuals, but I've seen lives changed through that ministry. I've seen people blessed and encouraged I've seen freedom from that ministry or because of that ministry. That's why we encourage you a number of times a year that we want to say this is an opportunity to give towards benevolence because it changes people's lives. And as together, that is, that is a tangible way that we as the local church come together and support and care for one another. You, uh, we see that the church was hospitable, that they gathered together in people's homes much like our CGs, where we gather together to, to study and to pray and to break bread together, which is different than the breaking of bread we have there on a Sunday morning, where we eat together, where this, the notion of eating is very symbolic. It's very, it's very personal. It's very intimate in scripture. It's very much, you, you, you know, you're getting together and we're, we're, we're breaking bread because we're coming together as one people. And yet, so we've got 
the substance of the church, the spirit of the church, and then the sweetness of the church. I love this verse. Verse 47. Having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love that. I love that. See, everyone wants to talk about the day by day the Lord's adding to their numbers. But they forget what got them there, right? The substance of the church, the spirit of the church, but then the sweetness of the church. Because the church was a witness. They were ambassadors. It says there, the people, they're having favor with the people. The community was watching them. They were seeing them. They were seeing how they lived their lives, how they conducted themselves. Did they live out this faith that was countercultural to everything that we, we've been told and we believe in? Are they living in such a way that's different? Are they practicing what they preach? The community was watching. And I want to tell you all, brothers and sisters, our community is watching. Our community watches you. Our community watches those who profess to be Christians. Our community watches those with the Jesus fish sticker, cutting them off and giving them the bird. They see that. They see you. And as much as we want to look back and say, it's not fair, they're judging us, they're judging us. You're called to something higher. You're called to something more. You're called to live a life that glorifies God in all things. It's like a child that says, why did he get it, but I don't. It's not fair, they had more screen time than I did. No. You're called to be a witness the community is watching. And you know what? Our church, the church today is being mocked. The church today is being mocked for what we believe. That we believe that God himself came, took on flesh, that he lived a perfect life of obedience, that he suffered and died on the cross, that we are justified by that, that he himself took the just punishment that we deserved and were declared righteous, that he died on the third day he rose. He met with his disciples and then he ascended into heaven and that he is right now seated at the right hand of the Father interceding on the church's behalf, on your behalf. We believe that. We believe that Jesus himself will come again, that he will gather his people, that we will be with him in, the, in paradise, that we will be with him in the new Jerusalem. That this new, there will be a new creation, that what we see here will be gone. And that we will live with him in glory. That's what we believe. We believe that Jesus is the only way. And we believe we go against what the culture puts its faith in because we put our faith and trust only on Jesus Christ and him alone. Now for that, you can mock me every day. I'll take that. I'll take that mocking and I'll take it proudly. I'm fine with that. But sometimes we're mocked and we deserve it because we act a fool. Sometimes it's deserved when we allow the prosperity gospel to infiltrate the church. When we allow people to, to abuse and, and to, uh, to mismanage the sheep, to sit there and, and, and to take money from them. Sow this seed of $5, and I promise you the Lord's going to bless you 200-fold. While they're sitting there raking in all this money, taking it from people who, who are trusting and believing that maybe this will work. Maybe this will get me out of my situation. Maybe this will help me pay my bills. 
And yet their pastor's running around with a new Rolex. And they got an Uber home. Sometimes it's deserved when we allow false teachers to continue on unchecked. When we, I mean, I think it's deserved when I look and I see, uh, what was it, Bethel out in California where they would sit there and they would lay on graves and sit there because I'm going to soul suck and I'm going to get this energy from this and it's going to make me a better saint or something. It's really weird and I deserve to, we deserve to be mocked for that. That's crazy. That's nuts. But we allow it to continue. We deserve to be mocked when we allow abusive pastors to run rampant and roughshod over congregations where we allow them to just sit there and, and, and bully, bully the individuals. We also deserve mocking and judgment when we allow sexual abuse predators to attack our children and our women, whether in the church and by those behind the pulpit. And we sit there and we allow that and we hide it and we try to, to, to sweep it under the rug. We try to pretend like it never happened and we're not going to deal with this. That is to our shame as the body of Christ to not protect the most vulnerable. We deserve to be mocked. No wonder the world looks and laughs at us. Or when we have these people online that are just jerks for Jesus, thinking that they're discernment bloggers thinking that they've got this discerning spirit and I'm so blunt and this is just the way it is. I tell it how it is in 140 characters. Devoid of love, grace, mercy. And you wonder why the, church, the culture looks at us and says, why do I want this? You say Jesus is, is a God of love, that he's merciful, that he's forgiving, that he will bring judgment upon the uh, the unjust, and yet among your ranks, you sit there and belittle others, mocking them, using the ways of the world, the evil ways of the world to combat the world. Wonder why we're mocked. I wonder where our witness is. Where's that sweetness of the early church where they had favor among the people? Not that the people believed in everything that they believed but they could see the difference within how they were living their lives. They could see the difference within the community. They could see the difference in how they encouraged one another, loved one another, were united with one another, were thankful for each other. You see, the church, the church is to be a beacon of light in a dark, dark world. The church is to be this beacon that just shines forth the gospel of Jesus Christ to a, to a dark world living blindly in their ways, awaiting judgment that they deserve. And the church is to be a beacon of light. We're to be a declarer of hope that yes, you deserve the just wrath of God, but you have this hope that is in Jesus Christ. Trust in him and what he's done. The church is to be a hospital for the sick, for those that are hurting, for those that are struggling. The church is to be a blessing to the community around them. The church is to be a lover of justice. The church is to be a support to the needy. The church is to be a proclaimer of God's truth. The sweetness of the church. 
you know, kind of begs the questions. As I've been going through this, I've been wrestling with this. I, I have to. I'm confronted with it. And I think we're confronted with it, if we're honest with ourselves. How are we doing as a church? Just how are we doing as Redeemer? Just Redeemer Fellowship. I've, I've really talked about the greater, but what are we, how are we doing as, as Redeemer Fellowship when it comes to the substance, the spirit, the sweetness? Can the outside world say, like, I see, I see something different about those people over at Redeemer? But see, that's an easy question for you and I to ask, actually. The more I thought of it, I was deflecting. The real question is, how are you? How am I? How are you as God's people? How are you as his child of God? How are you when it comes to this devotion? When it comes to the substance of the church, your study of God's word, your time with God's people, your unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you one that encourages unity or are you a gossip? Are you one that, that embraces and participates in the life of the church so that you could be a blessing to those around you and yet also be blessed by those that are in attendance? Or do you stay aloft saying, I don't really need the local church. I don't really need other people to speak into my life. I don't really need to be transparent with those around me. I don't really need them to see who I really, really am. Because I don't either, A, I don't want to show who I am, or B, I've done it before and I'm hurt. People have abused that and I have some things to sort through. I understand. And how are we with the sweetness? How's our witness? If someone came to you, it's, a, it's an old, kind, old time question, right? Like if they came to you, would they know you're a believer in Christ? I think it's, I think it's cheesy, but I do think there's some truth to it. One of the best compliments I've ever received was um, my, our neighbors. Michelle got really close to our neighbors, really close. And, you know, we we're talking one day and, and she'd been hanging out with them and getting to know them. And, and she, uh, uh, she was sharing with me that one lady was like, you know, there's something different about you, Michelle. Like, I know you're religious, but you're a different kind of religious. Like, you care, you don't like, when we, we kind of, you know, make fun of somebody, you don't really join in on that. Like, you don't, you don't embrace kind of the things we embrace, but you're always there, you're listening, you're loving, you're caring, and anytime, I, you know, we need help, you're there. Like, there's something different. That was a huge compliment. And I took it as a compliment because obviously it was my leadership in the home that enabled. <laughs> but what Michelle showed was this beautiful, beautiful witness of the sweetness of the gospel really being lived out in her life. That's something I want for me and I want for you. I want us as a church to embrace the substance, spirit, sweetness, and that we will proclaim the gospel to a lost world, being a beacon of light, a hospital for the sick, and having a, a truly healthy view and understanding of the need for the local assembly, for our faith, and for our growth. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to, to share your word. Lord, I, I admit there are times when I lack appreciation for gathering. 
There are times that I, I, uh, <laughs> it's to my shame just saying like, at times I'd, I'd, I'd rather just go for a walk outside. I know sometimes that's necessary and it's good to, but Father, I, I, I love your church. I know the benefit of the local church. I've, I've experienced the love of the local church and I've asked, Father, that we would grow in an appreciation for your church, for your bride, that we would be devoted to her and to each other, that we'd be, that we'd be devoted with this, this fervent affection for one another, that we would study your word, that we would pray together, that we'd gather together, that we'd, we would come to the table together, that we'd be united together, that we would be of one people together, and that as one people, we would proclaim your gospel to a lost world. We ask this in your name. Amen.